You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, it happens every time I talk about kids. Gee. And, and let, me tell, let, me, let me say this to you. There, there's, there is a reason. And the reason is, is we're not thinking about just now. Uh, we cannot be short-sighted when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We need to be looking into the eyes of our children and we need to be saying, what is God saying to them? How is God prophetically leading them? Because it's before we know it. You know, they're, they're, they're going to Canby Bible College, and, and they're going out to be businessmen and women. They're going out to be missionaries. They're going out to be pastors. They're going out to be uh, in, in the construction industry. We see it all over. Uh, please pay attention now. Let's pay attention now, uh, because now is the time we, we must, and, and it's something that I, I know God has called us to do. Uh, keep an eye uh, on our families, keep an eye on our kids, and I'm going to talk a little more about that in just a moment, but before I do that, would you just bow your head, and we're going to just ask God to allow his word to transform us, I'm going to bring you a message, it won't take very long, but I want to go after this, it's the second part of the life of David, Father, we want to thank you today for your goodwill in our lives, the obvious anointing and mark of God in this place and on your people. We ask that you would just encourage us today. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. If you were here last week, we talked about David and facing the giant of fear. Today I want to talk about the giant of discouragement because David had plenty of discouragement he had to deal with in his life. Now David is one of the most talked about persons in all the Bible. In fact, there's 66 chapters that mention David. First and second Samuel, first and second Chronicles, first Kings, uh, the book of the Psalms. So you see David is a big figure, especially in the Old Testament. David is one of the most notable characters in all the Bible and today what we're going to talk about is how did he transform discouragement into encouragement? And it does seem like this today, doesn't it? It seems like there's discouragement everywhere you turn. Uh, there's discouragement that we face in family. There's discouragement we face in society and relationship. There's just discouragement. And what we want to do is we want to face it head on. We want to know what God says about discouragement and how God wants to take your discouragement and transform it into encouragement. There's only one way that is absolutely possible. It's when Jesus is the center of our lives. I mean, when, when we are steadfast and following Jesus Christ, we can see these almost impossible things of discouragement we face transition into encouragement and actually become our story. They become our testimony. They become part of our life, and it's the victory that we find in Jesus. So the giant of discouragement is something you fight. I think people fight it every day, and we need to learn how to defeat Defeat discouragement every day. Transform it into encouragement. And, and this was true about David's life. In the time that David lived in 1040 B.C., the people of Israel, they were dealing with this incredible discouragement. The nation of Israel, they, they weren't doing well. In, in fact, they were on a long drift from God under the authority and kingship of Saul. And listen, if you're not intentional about your relationship with Jesus Christ, you will do one thing and you will drift. You will absolutely drift. And this is what happened with the nation of Israel. King Saul was losing his mind. 
He was losing his kingdom. And the Philistines were becoming a regional power of that area that was confronting uh, Israel almost every turn in the road. Almost every place they went, there would be the Philistines. So here's the truth. We'll all experience discouragement. Uh, You might be experiencing discouragement right now in your life, but we will. We will experience it. So what I want to do just for a moment is I want to look at two parts of David's life when he experienced discouragement, and then we want to see how he transformed that discouragement into encouragement. So you have your outline. You can turn it over. You can fill in the blanks, and here's the first thing you need to write down. Nobody, nobody noticed. The first thing that you realize in the story of David is he was nobody, nobody noticed. I mean, that's, that, that's really true uh, about his, his life. And the lesson, the lesson that he learned, the lesson that we can learn, is fighting discouragement in isolation. Because this is exactly where David found himself. In 1 Samuel 16, David was just a young shepherd. He was tending his father's sheep uh, in the fields of Bethlehem. So you get a sense there that it's a place of obscurity. It's a place that people would get sent to be forgotten about. Uh, You wouldn't even really remember anyone who was sent off to the fields of Bethlehem. And this was true about David's father and his family. Once he got sent to the obscurity of Bethlehem, the fields of Bethlehem, I don't even know if they remembered his name because his father never even mentions his name. He's just out there. And he's in isolation. And you see that in 1 Samuel 16, David was just a young shepherd Uh, He was literally isolated. And listen, isolation can be a dangerous place. You know that, don't you? I mean, isolation can be a breeding ground for discouragement. And sometimes that isolation is self-imposed. We we put it on ourselves. And there are other times that isolation is just part of the journey of life. The prophet Samuel, uh, he's the big dog on the porch. I mean, he's the prophet, the judge. He's the guy that people listen to. Uh, he, he really has a lot to say about what's going on in Israel before, during, this time, and after. And so he comes to Bethlehem. And what he says is he says to Jesse, I'm coming to your house because the next king is in your family. Uh, Jesse was afraid at first because when a, a prophet, a judge shows up, it's not always a good thing. And so he's afraid and Samuel sends a word ahead and says, listen, I come in peace I'm coming because there's something I need to do. The next king of Israel will be found in your house, Jesse. And in 1 Samuel 16, that's where you can begin. 1 Samuel 16, verse 5, it says, Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Now drop, drop, drop down to verse, verses 10 and 11. It says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Now I want you to remember something. Jesse had eight sons. He had eight. But he had seven pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Uh, just imagine the red carpet. These guys are strutting their stuff in front of the prophet. And they're trying to, I mean, they're probably dressed up and smelling good. And they're, they're looking fine. And, 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 and Samuel is not going to make the same mistake he made the first time when we looked at Saul and said, isn't he a handsome man? And then God says, hey, I don't judge by the outside. I judge by the inside. Can you imagine the oldest Eliab? I mean, he's thinking he's probably the guy. 
He's probably the guy. And he has, he, he, I mean, he has what it looks like. He has the stuff. And so what happens here is there are seven sons before Samuel. Samuel says, it's not, I don't see him. So he asked Jesse, are, are these all of the sons that you have? Are, are these, is this everybody? Uh, they're, they're still the youngest. This is what Jesse says. They're still the youngest. The word youngest, remember, is a derogatory term. The Hebrew, it's the word hakaton, which means uh, a runt. It means useless one. Um, that's, that's really what it means. He, and, and what does he do? Jesse answers, he's tending the sheep. He doesn't even give his name. He just says, he's, yeah, the, the kid, the runt, is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down. We will not sit down until he arrives. I love that. I love the attentiveness of, of Samuel, who's the prophet, saying, you know what? I'm not resting until this is done. And there's one more we need to look at, and I'm going to be thorough, and I'm going to make sure this happens. And so this all unfolds, and what was the source here? When you look at David's life, what was the source of discouragement at this time in his life? Uh, how about this? I, I think probably overlooked and undervalued by family. Um, listen, family can be the most encouraging place on the planet, but family can also be the most discouraging place on the planet. And so, and so I'm thinking that David, had, this had to cross his mind. He's an intelligent, wise guy. He knows. He said, man, I'm being overlooked. I'm undervalued by family. And, and here it is. His dad doesn't even call him by name. He just says he's the youngest, the runt, the useless one. He's out in the field. We don't even really know where he's at. It'll probably take a few days for us to even find the guy. I mean, we, did, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have telephones. We don't have GPS. We don't have any of that. We've we got to go look for the guy. So they send someone to find him. And another, I think another source of discouragement is this, um, being underestimated and underwhelmed by the career. <laughs> and some of you might even feel that way, and you've gone through life thinking about yourself as a runt, thinking yourself as someone who feels useless. And it might have to, a lot to do with your occupation. Here David is in that place where he's working as a shepherd for less than minimum wage. I mean, he's really not making a whole lot. He doesn't see his career path. He's not, he's not making a lot of progress here. And I would imagine someone as creative as him, someone as energetic as him, because he really does have that type A personality. You find that come out a little later in his life. He, he's, he's messing with sheep. And, and I'm sure he's feeling, man, I am so underestimated and I am so bored. But I love what David does with his boredom. He turns his boredom into songs and worship and tells us about God. It's pretty amazing. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever felt underestimated. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, uh, I think a lot of us have. I know I have. Um, I, I know that my, my, my power, the thing that I love to do is I, I love sports, you know. And so I love to play sports. I, I, I love to, to be an athlete. I loved all those things. I loved the training. But when I uh, stepped out, and you know how you have those pickup games in other neighborhoods or other, you go visit your cousins, and, and they have their friends, and, and they're every, everybody's choosing sides. I was always underestimated. I was always the last guy chosen. And it was mainly an estimate of my stature. They thought, well, this guy can't do much. He's kind of he's short. He's kind of ruddy. He's kind of, I don't know. No, so we're going to pick all the big guys, and we're going to leave him for last. So you feel underestimated. I don't know what that ever did to you, but it fired me up. I made them pay for it. That's the thing I wanted to do. 
But, but you know what that feels like, being the last in the playground, being the last person chosen, whatever that might have been, whether it was academics, whether it was athleticism, whatever it may have been, it's never good to feel that way. So please, I want to I say this to you. The story of David is to everyone in this room that's been overlooked. This story is to you. It's, it's written to your life. It's about your journey. It's about all the times you were underestimated. It's about all the times that you felt underwhelmed by the job or the task or the responsibility given you. This story is for you. And then I want to say this. For all those you see and look around and you know they're being underestimated or overlooked, give them a chance. Because if you're in a position of authority or influence, whatever that looks like, Don't let the overlooked just go always overlooked. Take time and see them. And oftentimes, someone overlooked just needs one opportunity, and they'll make all the difference in the world. You may be surprised. You've seen men up here today and their families, and sometimes I know in their journey, they were overlooked, but someone gave them an opportunity, and they took advantage of it. Please know that. That's so true about us. So please hear me in this message. It it, it really is. It's for you. It's for the overlooked. It's for the undervalued. It's the underestimated. It's the underwhelmed. Uh, You see discouragement either leads, listen, discouragement either leads to desperation or it leads to revelation. Your discouragement, where you are, can lead you to be desperate or it can lead you to a a, a revelation of what God has you there for. Why does he have you in this place? What's happening? See, we're, we're all building our lives on something. You're building your life on something. I, I have a foundation I'm building my life on, and, and I want it to be God's word. I want it to be my relationship with Jesus Christ. But, but you live by something whether you know it or not. And here's a few things that people choose to live by. Number one, they say, I am what I do. So this is the importance based on uh, position or positional authority and influence. I am what I do. I am my job. That's my identity. You see where I'm going here? So finding identity in what you do. People will say, I am what people say about me. So what do we do? We rely on popularity. We rely on pleasing people. We rely on making people happy. This is the way we make friends. Or we can say, I am what I have. So how am I identified? I'm identified by the stuff that I gain in life. Uh, I'm identified by a dollar value or the toys that I have or the places and trips I take. That's how people know me. They know me because of, of the life that I live with things and stuff. People can say this, I am what I look like. So people depend on what they look like to get them by in life. Remember again what uh, what, what Samuel said, God doesn't see what's on the outside. He sees what's on the inside, but we make a way by our outward appearance. But here's another way that we can find identity, and this is where we go today. This is really what we need to talk about. It's this, I am beloved of God. I'm beloved of God. I'm beloved of God. I'm beloved of God. This is my identity. Remember, this is, this is what the name David means. The name David means beloved of God. You know, all these things that David had to deal with, he had to come to this place, and in, in his obscurity, he has to come to this place to say, I'm not all the other things. I'm beloved of God. That's what I am. 
He knew there is where he could find safety. He knew there is where he could find affirmation. David didn't have the other I am's. He totally relied on being beloved by God. This is where he found his identity. This is where he found purpose. This is the revelation. See, the revelation we need in life that we are beloved by God. The revelation you need right now is not uh, the stuff you have. It's not about uh, what you look like. It's not about the position you have. The revelation we need is we need the revelation and breakthrough that we are loved by God. That makes all the difference in the world. God loves you. God cares for you. You are beloved. See, David wasn't a nobody nobody noticed David was a somebody God absolutely loved and you could say that to yourself you'd like hey I'm somebody God absolutely loved yeah go ahead whisper it I'll give you a little time I'm somebody God absolutely loves you see you have to hear yourself say it because you believe the other I am's this is the I am that makes all the difference I am someone God loves listen while while you're waiting While you're waiting in the fields of Bethlehem, be sure God is watching. While you're waiting, He's watching. While you're waiting, He is watching. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't lost you somewhere. God is up to something in your life, and here's what you might need. You you need a a kingdom cause. You need a Jesus cause in your life. Uh, the other causes, I, I think there, there's, there's a great causes out there, but if they're not connected to the kingdom, if they're not connected to Jesus Christ, they, they, they have a short shelf life. They really do. Kingdom cause, but not only a kingdom cause. Let me say this. With whatever kingdom cause God gives you, can I give you a little instruction here, please? Be consistent with it. Don't... don't we lose our attention. We have a short attention span. And we get into this, this oh, I'm on to this thing. It's a kingdom cause. And, and I can ask you three days later, where is that? Oh, I, I don't know. I forgot about that. See, to get anything done in the kingdom means you have a passionate kingdom cause. But it also means that you have some perseverance and consistency in the kingdom cause. Nothing gets done without consistency. Nothing gets done without perseverance. You see, you see what I'm saying? Now, Now, I know my time here, almost, well, 31 years now. 31 years here hasn't been the most talented time of my life at times and make a lot of mistakes, but I'm still showing up. I must still show up. The reason I'm going to show up, I'm thinking this. You know, good things happen when God's people show up. I don't even know what to say sometimes. People say, are you going to talk? I said, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'll show up, but I don't have a clue what I'm going to say. And that is really a, a test of faith a lot of times because when you show up, God gives you something to say, and it's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? So listen, would you just show up, even if you don't have an agenda? I mean, sometimes you just think, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't have an agenda. I don't even know why I'm going to show up. Listen, you show up because you need to show up, and that's how God uses people. He uses people who show up. It's not about your talent. It's not about your intellect. It's not about all these other things. It's about showing up. And when you show up, man, there's some things that happen that are absolutely, they blow your mind. Cause and consistency changes your life. It changes the world around you. And I want you to hear this. David was planted by God in the fields of Bethlehem. You are planted by God in this place. 
This isn't random. This isn't accidental. You're planted by God, not buried in the monotony, you know, that, that, that you can have sometimes. I mean, it's there. You're working at McDonald's. That's tough, man. I'm flipping hamburgers. Well, you're digging a ditch. Or, man, I'm, I'm, I'm raising kids and I'm wiping noses and the other end as well. And all those things are happening. And this is like, oh, listen, you're not buried in any of this when you know Jesus. You are planted there because Jesus has put you there. There's a difference. There's a big difference. One is random. The other is purposeful. God has a, a purpose for your life. The planted of the Lord. The planted of the Lord bear much fruit. See, David did this, and you can do it as well. Turn your isolation into solitude with God. Just turn your isolation. Say, you know what? I feel isolated, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a change in my head, my perception here. I'm going to say this is solitude with the Almighty. I'm going to say this is solitude with the Creator. I'm going to say this is solitude with the one who knows me more than anyone else knows me. It's solitude with Him. Can you do that? That's, that's really what God's asked us to do, and He will ask you to do in what seems to be isolation. Now, here's what happens next. <laughs> David gets anointed. Uh-huh. He gets anointed in, in Samuel 16, uh, 12 and 13, and so he sent for him and had him brought in, and they found him. He was out there somewhere, and they found him, and, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Uh, that's amazing, that right there, that statement. I mean, being, I don't know what, I don't imagine a shepherd in the fields looking like this. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, and this is, I love that, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel went back to Ramah, his, his headquarters. I love this. Wow. The nobody, nobody noticed is the one. He is the one. And then David, this is what happens. Listen, you're not out of the woods yet. Okay, you're thinking, all right, I'm noticed. Not all that great sometimes. Because what happens next? David becomes the somebody everybody blames. So now they know him. So what, how did he become the somebody? Remember the big giant we talked about last week? And, and remember the accolades he received afterward. It says, hey, they made a song up. I mean, he hit the top chart. He hit the top ten in the charts. I mean, they start singing a song. Hey, Saul killed a thousand, but David killed his ten thousand. I mean, this is making the... This is making the hits, and this is going all through the land. This is, this is a problem. This is a problem when you have an insecure king, and you have somebody who's anointed by God, and he's coming up under an insecure king, an insecure leader. What's going to happen? That leader turns on, uh, on David. <laughs> Man, I mean, it's, not, it's bad enough. It, it's his king. It's also his father-in-law. I mean, I under, probably understand that more. It was his father-in-law turning on him than the king turning on him, you know, I, probably get that but but so David has this this things coming at him and, and David went he won't he went on the run he goes on the lamb from Saul he start he takes off because you know he has reason to he threw a few spears thrown at him you know a few things happening that he was having to dodge uh, that that Saul was perpetrating I mean there was some things there and so he says you know what I got to get out of here I got to find safety and so what he does he goes and he lives in caves and a couple in particular caves that he liked I don't know all the reasons big enough to hold all the band of followers 
all these hey, outlaws. <laughs> these are all misfits. They're saying, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to follow that guy. You know, I'm going to follow David. They're, these are misfits. So the in-law chasing him while they live and Dave lives with the outlaws. So he's in-law chasing him and living with outlaws. It's not a good place. So what were these outlaws, ask yourself, what were they attracted to? Were they attracted to his position? Were they attracted to his authority? Were they attracted to his good looks? You know what they were attracted to? I, I believe this. They were attracted to David's brokenness. There's just something about people who are honest with their brokenness that makes you accessible. And so these four or five, six hundred, they're following him and they're going, man, the guy tells the story. He, he's, he's not hiding anything. He's, he's telling us about his brokenness and he was open with his brokenness and he has all these outlaws following him. It, it was this brokenness is what makes you accessible. David made these misfits into an army. And here's the lesson you pick up here. The lesson is David faced discouragement from insiders and this season in his life he spent as a fugitive. So this is how bad it gets. He's not only being chased by his, his, his father-in-law, the king. He's not being, that's, 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 not, that's not his only, only problem. So they go on, his buddies, and they, they, go, on, they go on raiding parties because they got to they gotta live, they got to eat. And so they, they leave their headquarters, Ziklag. That's where they live. And you go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. You can turn there real quick with me and look at what it says here. It says, when David and his men came back from their raiding party, they came back to their headquarters at Ziklag, They found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Can you imagine that? The Amalekites, they're the bad dudes in the story here. So David and his men, they wept out loud. They wept so much that they had no more strength left to weep. They cried their their last tear. David's two wives had been captured. Ahimonim of, of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men, listen, you think you got problems? You think you're discouraged? David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Now he's the somebody everybody's blaming. So listen, notoriety and fame really doesn't get you anywhere. People want it a lot today. But but in a lot of ways, it just sets you up up for stoning. (laughs) And so what happens here, it says each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But listen to this. This is a phrase we'll repeat again. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. And then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of the Ahimelech, uh, bring me the ephod. This was how they, this is how God spoke to them. Abathar brought it to him, and I'm going to come back. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in rescuing your family, your friends, your belongings. But you don't know that when you step into this. You don't know that when discouragement hits you like this. You just really, you don't know it. It's, it's just hard. So our lives might be pretty discouraging, but I don't think they're this discouraging. I, I just, I don't sense that in this group. We have some discouragement, but to have this happen to you like it happened to David, this is big time. 
It doesn't mean we minimize our discouragement, but we're talking and we're looking at someone we can really identify with, like we can identify with Jesus being our high priest who has experienced things that we've experienced without sin. And then his own men were talking about stoning him. Wow, you know, I, I don't know. You, you hear that phrase, David found strength in the Lord. Discouragement. Listen, discouragement is an absolute soul killer. And if we let what's happening on the outside, inside, it rots our heart. Take, take that one. So how do, we, how do we then transform discouragement into encouragement? You know, I love this saying. Um, don't know where I picked this up, but this is what it says. You don't drown by falling into the water. You drown by staying in the water. Discouragement wants you just to stay in the water. You've got to get out of the water. You've got to get on land. You've got to get somewhere solid. So here, here's, here's what, we, what we're talking about here. Three things that David does to transform his discouragement into encouragement. Here it is. Number one, turn to the one who will never turn on you. Always turn on the one. Turn to the one that will never turn on you. In verse 6 of chapter 30, I love it again. David was greatly distressed. The men were talking about stoning him, the spirit, uh, uh, bitter in his spirit because of the sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Why? Because he knew that God would not turn on him. Listen, it doesn't, God's never going to turn on you. I mean, the perception at times, our own perception, faulty, tainted as it is, we can, we can, we can think that or feel that. But that is not the truth. That is not accurate. What does David do? David turned to the one who will never turn on him. And I'll say this. David's foundation was, David's foundation was solid. Where did that happen for him? It happened when he was a nobody nobody noticed. That's where his foundation was made. When disaster struck and discouragement started to set in, David turned to the Lord. And I'm going to say this, and I I hope you hear my heart. If you're in the fields of Bethlehem, you feel isolated right now. I I want you to know something about this place. Don't despise the fields of Bethlehem in your life. Don't despise those places. People people want to get out of obscurity today. And you see a younger generation saying, I just, what's the number one thing? taking a poll of people, young people under 25, it's to have fame. Listen, that'll kill you as quick as anything else. It's the poison of the day. Because that's what you think you want. But when you become somebody somebody notices, you also become somebody that can get blamed. And do you have the foundation? C- can you, when you are taking the heat, say, Hi, my strength is in the Lord God. My strength is in Him. He is in Him. It is in him. Number two, never turn on those who turn on you. What's interesting here, now I'm going to say this, and I'm going to wrap it up here in a minute. Okay, this is one of the hardest things to do in life. It is for me. I, so I'm, when I'm saying this to you, uh, please know that it hasn't been, my life has not been absent of vengeance. My life has not been absent of anger when people have come against me, when there have been attacks. It's how I respond to that. How do I live 
with that? What do I do with it? Who do I take it to? That makes all the difference in the world. And not jumping before God resolves it internally. You have to resolve it here. So here's the thing. This had to be difficult for David. Can I say this? Because what he does, he doesn't impulsively go after the, the, uh, the Amalekites. He doesn't. What does he do? We must pray about this. I wouldn't have had to pray about anything. They got my wives. They got my kids. They got my stuff. But I don't need to pray. I'm going after them. What David does is he pauses and he says, I need to know if this is the right thing to do. See, there's where he stands apart. I need to know if this is the right thing to do. By the way, David fought this all of his life. This was one area, please know this, not perfect, one area that he fought. Matter of fact, you can find this. You know what? The, David's on his deathbed. He's talking to Solomon, his, his son, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You know the last thing he does before he dies? Very last thing out of his mouth. Hey, Solomon, you remember Shimei when I was being chased out of town by Absalom and he was throwing stones at me and cursing me? You remember that guy? Yeah. Don't let him go down to the grave with his hair gray. Kill him. Whoa. I'm only telling you the truth. I'm saying to you, this is not easy. He fought this. He struggled with it. We have those things that we struggle with. But we have to come to these places. We say, God, i got to give this to you. David showed great restraint when it came to revenge on those who killed his family and his, and his men's family. Listen, acting in anger toward your enemy has horrible and hidden consequences. Please know, that's why God said this. That's why God said this to us. He said, vengeance is not yours. You cannot handle it. Vengeance is mine. Because you don't know the power of that. You can't handle it. When people praise you, listen to this. When people praise you, don't let it go to your head. When they criticize you, don't let it go to your heart. And then the third thing, I'm going to finish with this. Turn together. Turn together on the enemy. Don't turn against each other. I mean, when it gets to these places, this is what David understood. Turn together on the enemy. Turn together on the common enemy. Don't shoot at each other. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 9, I love the story because David's looking back as he's king now. He's in a place where he's in authority and he's looking back and he's saying, I gotta remember, I gotta remember, I, I gotta remember some folks because there are some people that I need to take care of, I need to honor. You know what they find? They find Jonathan's son, Mosebeth. And they say, Bring him to the table. He's crippled. David says, I want him to sit with me and he's going to eat like my sons eat. He's going to be treated like my sons are treated. I want him here. What did David do here? He made sure that he wasn't going to keep enemies there. Fight for not against each other, but for each other. This is how we transform discouragement. Do you fight against each other or with each other? I'm going to say this in um, October, October 23rd, We're going to have an all-church time of prayer and worship. And it's going to be designated for this. It's going to be designated to fight for our children and our families and our kids. It is going to be designed to do that. On October 23rd, on a Wednesday evening, we're going to come here and we're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to pray for people. We're going to pray. We're going to just continue to pray. We need to do that. We need to fight for 
our families. We need to fight for our lives. The last thing is the kingdom where everybody mattered. David recognized that there were more involved here, that it wasn't just him that made this happen. This is how David's life unfolds. He's the nobody that nobody noticed. Then he's somebody everybody blames. 25 years pass after his anointing, and now David is the king of Israel, and he makes his kingdom about others. And that's why he is known as the greatest king. The lesson is is that we need to find encouragement for others during seasons when you're king, when you are the one that now has influence. Please, when you get influence, when you, when you have resources, don't make it about yourself. There's so many people that, that, this, that, that when they, that happens, they say, oh, got my, got my bag, got my stuff, we'll see you later. Checking out, this is about me, it's not about you. Listen, when you have influence... I think the greatest leaders on the planet do this. They take their advantage and they help those who are disadvantaged. And by the way, that's the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2. And he did not hold on to his advantage in heaven for him. He gave up that advantage and gave you the advantage in his life, death, and resurrection. That is the gospel. When you live like this and you take the advantage and the influences and the things God has given you and blessed you with and you help others with that influence and blessing, guess what? You're acting just like Jesus. You want to act like Jesus? That's how you act like him. I love quoting scripture. I love understanding and learning the Bible. But it isn't just about you reciting scripture. It's about you living out scripture. It's about you being like Jesus, especially when now you have influence. It's about families and people. It's about understanding who's on your team. It's about thanking them. It's about including them. I mean, I think back on the back when, when, when we came here, and I think, about, I think about the Knutsons and Spragues and Gustafsons and Pulvers and Immigs and Bostons and Champs and, and, and names of people that are working right now. Think of Kevin Logan. I think of, uh, I think of the Olins. I think of all these people. I think of these people because this is what makes this happen. This is about everyone else. This is about God's kingdom. It's about you. You've helped things happen. You've expedited the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Take the influence God has given you in him and influence others. Can you say amen? Would you bow your head with me? Thank you. Father, we just want to thank you today for this morning and all the blessings that you pour out in our lives. Let us walk away with um, a heart and a mind that is saturated by your transforming work and that we will not only be hearers of the word, but we would leave and be blessed as doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.